God, thank you that you are holy, that you are perfect, that we can trust in you. I pray that that would give us hope, give us strength. I pray that you would speak through Michael, God, you would speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And while you're doing though, doing so, if you would turn to John chapter 6, and we will be there in a moment, but it's going to take a moment to get there, because um, John chapter 6 doesn't make any sense unless we go back to the very beginning, or almost the very beginning. Um, we have uh, feasted this morning on, uh, on good bread, depending upon your definition of good. Some of it may have been more or less wholesome. Some of it may have been more or less unwholesome. Uh, but nonetheless, I hope none of you are hungry at this point. And so there may be a little um, trouble in convincing you that, that this, rather small and comparatively speaking bland um, piece of bread, will fill you. And will nourish you. Um, you know, that's what I want to want to try to show to us this morning. That that this is what it represents. Really, is enough for us. But through that, we have to go back to the beginning. As I said, um, in Genesis, man had had in the garden. Man had free reign over all of the trees. It was, it was like there was a perpetual Eden buffet that was open. How many of you have ever had fresh fruit off of a tree? Right? And, and we, we make that comparison between fresh fruit off of a tree and something that you might find in the grocery store that we're, sometimes we're just not sure about, right? I'm thinking of peaches particularly. Right, a good fresh peach off a tree that maybe even is warm from the sun. You know, the juice runs down your chin, and it's there's nothing quite like that as opposed to sometimes a mealy kind of bland thing you might buy in the store. Right? I have this feeling, and I don't know this. Scripture doesn't say this, but I have this feeling that the fruit that Adam and Eve could choose from from all those many trees was that different from a fresh peach off a tree as the way we view a fresh peach to something in the store that's pretty bland and mealy. In the air, in the uncursed soil, the uncursed air of Eden, my guess is, what else could they have wanted? And they were free. They had free reign over the entire garden except for that one little place in the middle that was roped off. Right? Everything else was free. There was no currency. There was no money. They didn't have to, they didn't have to, to work for a wage to go up to God and say, Hey, He said, it's free. Partake. Eat except for one place. And the free wasn't enough for them. That one little restriction there in the middle, they felt like they had to have. And so because free wasn't enough, they lost freedom. They lost that free. We read in Genesis 3 that no longer do they have free reign in the Eden buffet... We read in verse 19, By the sweat of your face 
you will eat bread. It's a figure of speech that's often used in Scripture. It doesn't literally say by the sweat of your face. It's a better word picture, actually. It's by the sweat of your nose. Right, and you know, you've been out, many of you have been out, you've worked hard, and you know what it's like. The picture of someone who's been hot and sweaty and, and sweat dripping off the end of your nose, right? It's a vivid picture of how God said humanity was now going to get bread. Sorry, Adam and Eve, the buffet line is closed. Well, but in the 21st century, see, we've mollified nature, we've... we've We've moved, most of us anyway, have moved from the farm into the office and we have AC. Right? And our bread comes prepackaged and pre-sliced. And if we're not careful, we may think man one, curse zero, we win. Right? We've right I don't earn my bread by the sweat of my nose anymore. But somebody sweats for it. And while we may not physically sweat, we still work for it and we undergo those, those ramifications of the curse. Stress and worry and high blood pressure and more month than money and a bad back and extra weight. The office hasn't solved our problem. The AC hasn't solved our problem. The curse is still with us. And because it's no longer free food, bread now becomes this valuable commodity that is used like any other valuable commodity in the history of the world. It's used for showing hospitality, but it's also used for deceiving and for trickery. It's used for celebration and it's used for punishment. It's used as a, a poor excuse to leave the promised land and flee to Egypt. And it's used by God as an excuse to get His people to leave the promised land and go to Egypt. It's what God desires still to give us and it's what God desires for us to give to our enemies. Because it's a valuable commodity, it's used in all kinds of good ways and all kinds of poor ways. But occasionally this interesting thing happens in Scripture. It's like the curtain is pulled back for a moment and we get a glimpse of Eden again. It's almost like God has said, for a limited time the buffet is back open. It happened briefly when He led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. You might not recognize it as Eden, He'd changed up the scenery a little bit. Instead of a garden, it was a wilderness. Instead of fruit, it was manna. But nonetheless, God gave freely to His people. They may have had to walk out their tent. It may have been a hot sun. There may have still been sweat. But it was free. And what's odd about that was is, is that that freeness stopped once they got into the promised land. Uh, one would think that'd be the place where we'd really get to see God's majesty and His glory. And as we've talked about before, that manna was a representation of God's glory. He said as much, in the morning you will see my glory. They saw the pillar of cloud the night before. In the morning what they saw was that white coriander flaky stuff. But they said, what is it? 
And God said, that's my glory, my provision, my generosity, the way that I freely give to you. And one would think that would continue on into the promised land, but it stopped. Curtain closed, buffet closed again. But what he said, what he told them was, I'm giving you a land that will produce abundantly. This will be enough for you, he said, if, if you will obey. It's got everything you need. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and it will give you far more than you need if you follow what I say. Well, they didn't, and it didn't. They didn't obey, and they suffered from enemies within and without, from drought, from disease. And we wonder, and we we hope, and we ask, and we long, and the people long, God, where is your provision? And the prophets would come and would say, it hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, there was this longing, this aching, this calling of His people back to Him to say, I will provide for you abundantly. And in fact, Isaiah says, come and buy without money and without cost. He says, he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. What is that? How do I buy if I don't have any money? That sounds like free to me. And that was the call. That was the the pleading of the prophets, of God through the prophets to His people. Don't you see, the buffet really isn't closed. Eden still isn't really gone. Despite the curse, I want to give to you. And so as we think about Jesus over the next month, we think about who He is as we celebrate His arrival on this planet, one of the ways that He talked about Himself was... He said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He says in verse 35, He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. The setting, he had miraculously fed 5,000 people. It appeared briefly for a moment in time, curtain pulled back again, Buffet back open this time. It wasn't a garden and it wasn't a wilderness. It was a a grassy area. And the people liked that. And they followed Him. We pick up the story in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there after they'd been fed, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found Him on the other side, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek Me not because you saw signs, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. They liked that and they followed Him. And my guess is that you and I would have done the same thing. Look at this. This is a great deal. This guy can feed us without anything. I don't have to work anymore if I follow this guy around. This is better than, than, than Sam's on a Saturday morning, right? All the people that have the free samples. This is better than that, right? I can just follow Jesus around and I won't have to worry about food anymore. 
he's pretty decent to listen to. He tells good stories, and I'll get fed. Right? But what Jesus was trying to communicate to them through the miracle of the loaves and the fishes was that Eden was not a place. And Eden was not a certain opportunity or a certain time period. Eden was a person. The Eden buffet is, was a human being named Jesus. And He was fully God. And He said He wanted to give Himself to us. We celebrate the Incarnation. Jesus was the Incarnation of God's holy and eternal generosity. That giving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that had been going on for eternity, that manifested itself in creation. Jesus was the Incarnation of that givingness, if you will. Not, not bread for our stomachs, but substance, sustenance for life. And the question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Do we believe that God has been generous enough to give us eternal life if we repent of our sins and accept His death and resurrection as just payment for our sins? The problem is, just speaking for me, but my guess is it's the problem for you as well, is sometimes I'd really rather have real bread that, that I long for and seek the satisfaction of a good meal more than time spent with my Savior. Maybe it's not something that satisfies my tummy. Maybe it's something that satisfies my emotions or satisfies my intellect or satisfies my drive for entertainment. That's what I hunger for. That's what I long for. Something that will make me feel a certain way. As opposed to spending time with, not just at the Eden Buffet, but with that buffet, that eternal givingness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I pushed my relationship with Christ aside and said, I'd rather have something else. But here's what Jesus said to them. We go on in verse 27. He says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. The idea of we work for our bread, Jesus says, for the true bread, for the real bread, you don't have to work. I'm coming to, to do something different. They don't get it. And so, knowing full well that God's already said, you've got to work for it, they ask Him in verse 28, Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? They've couched it in religious language, but they still want to know, Jesus, tell us what we have to do. What do we have to do? Can you lay it out for us? Step one, step two, step three. Jesus answered, verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. 
It is as simple and as difficult as that. And they're still not satisfied. Okay, Jesus. All right, it's a belief thing. Verse 30, so they said to him, What then do you do for a sign? If we don't, someone's got to do something. What are you going to do, Jesus? So we may see and believe you. And then they start playing the comparison game. Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Okay, you fed us for a day. There's a bunch of us, 5,000 plus. But Moses fed hundreds of thousands for 40 years. What are you going to do to top that, Jesus? If I'm going to believe in you, you've got to do more than just this one-day business. But if you are who you say you are, who you're hinting at, that you're the prophet that was to come from Deuteronomy. And Jesus responds, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven. Don't get confused at who was providing that. Don't twist the story. It's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes out of heaven and gives life to the world. I sort of get it. Lord, always give us this bread. I don't know if they were thinking about what satisfied their tummy the day before or not at this point. But they like the sound of that eternal life. They like the sound of something ongoing, continuous. I like the sound of that. And then we get to the point we read a minute ago, I am the bread of life, he says. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And the reason that the world is so attractive to us is that we just don't believe that. Because we feel hunger and we feel thirst and we feel loneliness and we feel pain and we feel frustration and we feel longing. And we have felt at times the world satisfy those things. Incomplete, temporary, limited, but we got a taste of good food or good friendship or good entertainment. And we go, ah, oh, that's what I'm looking for. And Jesus says, that's not what you're looking for because it's not eternal. It doesn't last. You have to keep going back. We feasted this morning and some point in time today, some of you are going to say, I'm hungry. And so we find ourselves participating in this odd celebration this morning. Hardly enough to scratch the surface of a growling stomach. But what it represents is enough to satisfy us eternally. And the question is, do we believe that? The other question is, what does this have to do with me today? Okay, we're talking about eternity can get that. But what about now? What about today? See, we've talked before that, that what this represents, the bread and the, the fruit of the vine, His body and His blood, we've talked about that before as um, we proclaim Christ's death till He comes. We identify with His death. That's one of the things this does, that this reminds us of. It also reminds us that we participate in a, a new exodus, not out of Egypt, but out of sin. 
God has made a way for us to, to overcome the power and the penalty of sin. It's a celebration of the new covenant and forgiveness in His blood. Then no longer do we bring bulls and goats. That, that the cross really was enough to affect our forgiveness yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We appropriate that by faith. We celebrate this as a reminder of ourselves that we really are forgiven. That His mercies really are new every morning. It's a, a reminder that we have a new identity and therefore a new family. That we are a family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, a, a reminder that we can expect that wonderful meal in the new kingdom to come. It's a reminder of an expectation of what's to come. But this morning I want to go back to that first one that we identify with His death. What was His death other than that, that ultimate example of, of what God has always been? Generously giving of Himself. From creation to the garden to the clothes that He made for Adam and Eve to His call of Abraham and that covenant to Moses and, and Mount Sinai and making a way for the people to relate to God despite their sin to David and the promise that one would come who would eventually rule and reign forever to the prophets who called and called and called and called. It's a reminder that God continually gives. And so what does that have to do with today? The question we have to ask ourselves today, this morning is, am I giving or am I receiving? As a, as a husband or a wife, are you more interested in giving to your spouse or receiving from your spouse? As a parent, are you more interested in giving to your child or receiving from your child? As a, as a child, are you more interested in receiving from your parents or giving to them? As a neighbor, are you more interested in receiving from your neighbor or giving to them? As an employer, are you more interested in receiving from your employees something so you can make a buck or giving to them, sacrificing for them? As an employee, are you more interested in what your employer can give you or more interested in serving him? As a friend, are you more interested in giving to your friends or receiving from them? That's what it has to do with today. If we, if we partake of this bread and this fruit of the vine, saying that we identify with Christ in His death, then we have to ask ourselves that question. Do I really mean that? And do I believe, and here's the kicker, do I believe that He will give me the strength, that He will nourish me through His Spirit in such a way that I can do that? That what Jesus says is true, right? Don't work don't work for it. Believe, trust, abide, he says in John 15. Walk in the light, he says in 1 John. That it is as simple and as difficult as believing. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Oh, but we don't believe that. Because it's too hard to sacrifice myself for someone else. It's way easier to demand something from somebody else. That's so much easier. And temporarily it seems like that's the right thing to do. I want to be happy. 
and isn't it your job to make me happy? Or is it our job to serve one another? And so as you think about who Jesus is as the bread of life, He really does come to give us all that we need to do what He's called us to do, to die to self. And so as we celebrate this this morning, we need to ask ourselves that question. Where can I in the coming week die to self for the sake of somebody else? A spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, a neighbor, an employee, an employer, a co-worker, a stranger, Let that ruminate in our minds. Let that be our prayer. God, show me where I can give of myself this week. Let's pray together, then we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. Father, we thank You for um, the blessings of eternal life. And we thank You that, that really for us, because of what Your Son did, the buffet is continually open. You yourself have said you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that you offer exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can think or imagine. And then the real kicker of that verse, according to the power that is, in, that is within us. You've given us what we need, God, and we praise you and we thank you for that. Use this small piece of bread and this small drink of juice to nourish our souls as it reminds us of who you are and what you have done for us through your Son. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.